0: I'm Zach Abramowitz, and I am Legally Disrupted. On today's episode of Legally Disrupted, I interview James Lee, founder and CEO of LegalMation, Fun fact that was the very first legal tech startup that I invested in, and I have never looked back. This company is amazing. They're generating millions in revenue. They're working with the biggest companies in the world insurance companies, retailers, manufacturers, law firms you name it. This company is crushing it, and they just raised a $15 million Series A round. Let's catch up with James and find out what's new at LegalMation. Let's get disrupted. Let's start with this. Just for people
1: who aren't familiar, what is LegalMation? It's an, uh, an AI automation company that's really looking to solve a lot of problems for people who practice law or um, who practice in the insurance industry, resolve disputes. And so we're using a lot of AI machine learning techniques to really free up the, a lot of the bottlenecks in the workflow that you know, if you've been practicing law or uh, you know, handling claims, uh, there's just a ton of brute force work out there. And it's amazing what technology today is able to do, parsing language and making decisions and suggestions to really speed up that entire process.
0: So, but I got an email from you guys in 2018, right before a conference, this time of the year, actually, in Chicago. And you said, we are automating early stage litigation filings, and we're piloting with Walmart. We'd love to tell you more. And I mention this to people all the time because that email wasn't an email to get me to invest in the company. You just wanted to tell me about the company as a journalist. But if you had come to me as an investor, I would have been interested. If you had come to me as a journal, like in, a, as in my role as like a writer, I would have been interested. And if I was running, you know, innovation at a law firm, and all I heard was, "We are an AI company." and we've got a pilot with Walmart, we'd love to tell you more, I would instantly like be intrigued no matter what. Now, that was back in all the way in 2018. I mean, I actually came to you guys and said, hey, I, I want to invest in this company. I had made the decision that I couldn't really be in legal tech if I didn't have like some real skin in the game. And you guys were the most interesting company I had met that year. And not only that, I then called up five different people and asked them, like, what do they think is hot right now and what was crazy was all five of them said legal nation and these were all people who i really trusted within legal and then some people who were like a little bit even outside my network and i'm like man this is a this is definitely like a company to pay attention to so you guys just recently announced this big series a round but you've really been doing a lot of work with I don't know if people realize like the biggest law firms, some of the biggest legal departments for years now. And I've always felt like your traction way outpaced the amount of press that you did and way outpaced the amount of like investment that had come into the company. Like I was seeing companies that had done far less than you guys, you know, get covered a lot in the press and get these like juicy, you know, investment rounds Just like you, to wait till 2023, when it feels like funding is totally slowed down, right? And and now it feels like funding, to a certain extent, has kind of come equal with the amount of traction that you guys have gotten. So, tell me about that. Has that's been true, right? Traction has outpaced funding and and press.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've spent a lot of time developing our enterprise sector. so you know we we find a lot of alignment between what we do and the enterprise um, industry, particularly insurance, and so the automobile industry, the insurance industry, talking about places where you know, they absolutely are fully bought into the notion of bringing more automation and cost savings and more accuracy into the sort of work equation. And so you know for the past three years, particularly uh, post pandemic, you know we've been really focused on. Uh, try and build up that, that that sort of sector of the business because the alignment is great. I, I think um, for a while we were giving up we were giving up on law firms just because I think the strategy that we and a lot of other legal tech companies were employing I think were, was wrong. Quite quite frankly, I, I I think it's a mistake to just market to the entire law firm just because it's just too too diffuse of a message. I think the needs are so uh, sporadic and disparate that the strategy that we're employing now is uh, we're working hand-in-hand with the KM people in the department to really figure out who are the key partners that are looking to reinforce relationships with, with clients. And so when we go into a law firm now, we're always asking for a partner and a client relationship so that it's sort of a three-way partnership. Those are the ones that we think work really well just because the alignment's so good.
0: And again, for, for people who don't like know how this works, so give them the most basic... This was the functionality back in 2018 when we got started. What was the AI automating?
1: Yeah, so uh, you know, it, it was just a challenge that we had as a law firm. You know, as, as some of your uh, listeners might know, you know, we 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 have we had a law firm, we still do, and the idea was how can we automate a very good one. Of our own workflow? Yeah, I mean, you know, at, for for a while we were we were handling a lot of high profile cases and uh, had a, developed a really good reputation in the marketplace. And so, you know, the first product or tool that we developed was the ability to actually read a lawsuit, prepare an answer, choose the right affirmative defenses, and then generate targeted written discovery questions related to the lawsuit. And, you know, this is work that can take up to eight, 10 hours, and we were doing it in two minutes. You know, the scale of automation is just, you know, quite frankly, ridiculous, right? But th- this is sort of the, the wide open space that I think legal tech uh, presents.
0: Yeah. And what's interesting, look, what got you... Interested in the first place in using AI, because a lot of attorneys have obviously encountered this, but like you are like the only one, and particularly in this space, that actually went out and built an automation. Like there are a lot of contract companies, there are a lot of matter management companies. Yeah, there's only one legal nation that I'm aware of that that does this kind of work. So, what was it that got you to be to actually go out and do something about this?
1: So, you know, at the time you know, we were about 50 lawyers and again, we, we were growing as a boutique law firm and twice a year, Harvard Law School has this executive uh, program for law firm managers. And I got lucky, I, I got invited, I applied and, and they accepted me. And, you know, I was in a room uh, with uh, about 59 other law firm managers from Amlaw 200 firms around the world and on one of the days you know they, they had talked about how ai had already taken over or was infiltrating medicine and it was just a matter of a time before uh, law would be next and i was looking around the room uh, at all the other uh, law firm managing partners and and, and uh, section partners and and they were all looking at, at each other and and i can tell we were all sort of uh, trying to eye up the uh, you know, size up the competition because i i can promise you what was happening is uh, we all went back to our law firms and told our other partners we would have to get ahead of, of the problem because everyone else was going to jump on, on on the bandwagon and so it, it was just a matter of of, a, of fear where um, you know I told my partners we we have to get on uh, ahead of this problem because the bigger firms are going to try to steal our lunch and so th- that was sort of the impetus for all this and and you know sure enough, I had learned subsequently that sure enough. The other uh, law firm, uh, managing partners from the, uh, from the program, were also trying similar ways of uh, automating portions of the workflow. But unfortunately for them, but fortunately for us, you know, we, we actually did find a way to automate it, to, to really plug in how AI and machine learning was working, uh, maximizing uh, those, those benefits and, and those advantages to really architect a system, an end-to-end system that, would, that really worked.
0: Yeah, and and just to get people, you're not gonna, we're not going to mention client names, but when you say you're working with big enterprises, like you're working with like many plural Fortune 500 companies,
1: like brand names that everyone recognizes. Right. Yeah. A lot of insurance companies. Of the top ten insurance companies in terms of premium value, I, I think six or seven are somewhere in the sales cycle right now, and four of them already signed up. Just to give you an idea, and you know, just for um, you know people in the in the audience, so they know. The number one group of people that spend money on litigation fees is insurance companies in this country by far. I mean, it's, every insurance policy has, it, has in it a duty to defend provision. And what ends up happening is that insurance companies have to either defend their insurance or find lawyers to defend their insurance. And so a lot of the litigation um, in this country is actually driven by the insurance industry.
0: But interestingly enough, and so Walmart, when you started working with them, and this is is public because I'm not giving any secrets, they self-insure, right? So that was kind of like even Walmart, when you were working with them, you weren't really working with them as a retail company as much as you were also kind of like an insurance company.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, because Walmart self-insured, I mean, they essentially have an insurance-like process when it comes to identifying claims, resolving claims coming up with strategies to resolve those claims. And so um it, it they, they work very similarly. You know, you, you mentioned before that like you, you guys were
0: like the only ones that went out and did this. And yeah. I, I wonder because you know a lot of the entrepreneurs of the last ten years in legal were like associates, like third or fourth year associate who would leave a firm and start a company. You know, Amazon Web Services was making it very cheap to develop, you know, or much, much less expensive to develop startups and to build technology. So you had a lot of those leaving. You weren't like a third or fourth year associate. You were like the managing partner at a firm, like a founding partner at the firm. And I'm wondering, do you think the reason that no one else went out to build this particular product is that in some ways you were almost choosing like a perverse financial incentive. Like you could have made a lot of money continuing as, as an attorney. And I'm wondering if like, that's probably the, if that's the reason that other top litigators didn't go out and build this because you know,
1: why change what they're doing? They're, they're doing, they're doing great. Yeah. You know, um, if you look in the legal tech space in particular, I mean, there's a ton of contract review, reviewing platforms and uh, but when it comes to non e discovery litigation AI tools, there's very very few, and 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 I attribute that to uh, you know just what you just said, which is, I think the transition from being a litigator to a technologist is a lot more difficult than being a transactional lawyer to a technologist because I I, I think that gap is a lot uh, more narrow. I, I think in order to be a litigator, there's a lot of things that you're not very good at, which is technology, and and so I. I'm not as surprised today that there's not um, as many litigation-focused uh, AI companies, and to the extent that there are, they 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 sort of solve really discrete, uh, very low-level problems, which is, is not much of a, a qu- quite a help to I think a real lit- practicing litigator.
0: Yeah, and, and listen, and you guys did raise money previously, so this isn't like your first round of funding, but right. it definitely feels. To me, even both like on, on, from the outside, but also someone like, you know, who, who was an investor, knows a bit about the company, that you guys, for a long time, were building this almost like a, like a cash flow positive company, and not in the typical way that venture capital firms are built.
1: Yeah, I mean, we were um, you know, break even uh, last year, and we were um, a, a little uh, north of uh, cash flow positive this year when we were raising money. And definitely gave us a lot of advantages in terms of runway and options. And so, you know, one, one of the benefits of, of, of running a SaaS company, I found out is, you know, uh, particularly with insurance companies and large enterprises, is that once you sign them up, although it takes a long time to sign them up, you know, kind of think of these as clients for life. I mean, you know, so, so long as you're delivering value and, and, and accuracy and, and, and proper results... But you know these are partners that that I see that we're going to have for a long, long time.
0: And and you are like that's that's the other thing I've I've given this example and I've spoken at conferences last year. And this is you know pre generative AI chat GBT. I I was making the point that the reason a lot of AI tools don't get adopted is because they don't actually have you know transformational impact, which that was was sort of what you was unique. About legal you were creating savings and efficiency like in orders of magnitude greater than what you would find in the aforementioned contract review companies. Like you were saving companies, you know, millions and millions of dollars in in some instances.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, the scale of of automation is ridiculous in this space. You know, there's there's one client, for instance, for a pharma company. It took their outside lawyers five days to answer, you know, a pharmaceutical um, product liability case. You're talking about a lawsuit where there's two, 300 paragraphs of allegations, and you know, someone has to admit, deny, or answer each one of these paragraphs. And I you mean, know, what we did for them is we, we built out models, which we're really good at, where we're, we're building data models for each client, which is also, I think, one of our key differentiators. And you know, we did a first pass, and you know, we were answering over 95% of their allegations and doing that in two minutes. And so instead of four or five days, now they're able to finish this in less than a day.
0: Right. And and that to me is the key, like especially adoption. When you're talking about legal services industry where less you're talking to the insurance companies, there's going to be hesitation to adopt anything new because more efficiency isn't necessarily in the best interest of attorneys, which doesn't mean they don't want to be efficient. It just means they may not be ready to spend big money. It seems like the exception to that is like, well, if you save a lot of money, meaning if you're just saving like marginally 15, 20%, but if you're saving a lot, now there was really grounds to yeah. like, okay, we are got to use this stool.
1: Yeah. You know, I I have this uh, sort of story analogy. Um, you know, I think I told you the story that, you know, I was doing dishes one night and I was doing it by hand and my wife makes fun of me and, and, and asks, why don't you use a dishwasher? She said, you know, you run an automation company. Why aren't you using a dishwasher? And I could not answer that question for two weeks until I finally realized I just don't do enough dishes. It's not a pain point for me. And so I don't mind just doing dishes once in a while. And it's the same thing with any AI you know, machine learning platform that you present to, to a client. It's not for everybody, right? So if, if you don't have a pile of dishes that you're doing every day, you don't need a dishwasher, right? If you're doing it right. once in a while, I think, uh, you, know, I, you know, there's some lawyers out there that really enjoy answering discovery questions once in a while. But if you're doing hundreds of these a day as as a group, you can start seeing that that, that dirty dishes begin to pile up and that you need a dishwasher. You know, our company is that sort of dishwashing company that brings automation. You know,
0: right. And the automation that you were creating, you mentioned before, responding to that initial lawsuit, producing the interrogatories, the RFPs. Today, yeah. what are the other documents that you're automating responses to?
1: Yeah. So the, the next natural, like if you if you see this as a chain of dominoes, right, in, in, in the litigation lifecycle, the next big domino to fall is answering discovery questions. And so I know everyone's been talking about e-discovery for the past decade, but the other side of that coin of e-discovery is well, you have to know what to produce. And the only way that you can do that today or you know before is, is actually have a human being start reading discovery requests and start cataloging what's actually being asked well we have the ability to do that electronically uh, using ai and machine learning we have the ability now you can drag and drop incoming discovery questions uh, sets of discovery and you know again we build out data uh, marts or data warehouses for each client and so if you're an insurance company or your automobile company a or b what we're doing is we're taking historical samples of how you answer discovery uh, requests and then building out these data warehouses. Right. And so when a new um, request comes in, we're only looking at your data mart to essentially um, you know, start building out suggestions or um, uh, the, the proper response. Again, uh, tremendous time savings.
0: Tremendous time savings, absolutely. So I like to tell people that LegalMation... It's kind of like generative AI before it was a thing, because you would literally mm-hmm. get a document. And although I know right. you weren't using large language models, which we'll get to in a second, you were putting it in, and then you were getting an output, and an output that was last mile, right? I think that was what made it like so magical. And I, I was in the room at, at both Clock and the ACC when you demoed these products, and people's jaw hit the floor because it was like, oh my yeah. gosh, they just, they just got this to a point where it's, it's shippable. It can be sent to the other side now. Right. So what do you think of that description, generative AI, before it was popular?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, we, we were uh, generating text. I mean, we were uh, generative AI. I mean, if you actually looked in uh, the literature, um, you know, forms of generative AI happened way before, even last year when OpenAI came out. You know I, I think they took it to the next level in terms of amalgamating different you know sources of data. But like I said, for for what we do, and we can talk about you know the this um, you know why I think our system is is better at providing those guardrails, is that you know I, I brag to our clients that we're never wrong because we're only using your data. And um, you know unless you tell us to set a threshold at a certain confidence level, um you know our system won't suggest it. And so there's a lot of consistency, a lot of accuracy that we bring to the table. That other clients may not. I mean, we don't generally use common models for clients. By definition, a common model ends up being a series of compromises that no one is happy with. We we represent uh, two very large automobile companies. They face the same plaintiff lawyers. They see the same RFPs and interrogatories. These two companies answer questions so differently that if I created a common model, uh, neither of them will be happy and so um, you know th- th- again that's that's one of our key differentiators is that you know we're able to go to clients they they give us their discrete historical data and we're able to build up models that that really key into um, their philosophy and their techniques of answering
0: yeah and it's interesting cuz you you actually told me originally because when i when i first started playing around with chat gpt i was blown away by it and i mentioned it to you and you gave me this answer that was interesting which was this is really important, and these models are capable of some really incredible things, but there's a specific reason why they won't and don't work as well for the automations that we're trying to do. Can you explain that? Like what, Why are large language models not always the right source to solving a problem or to creating
1: automation, and, and in particular in your case? I'll give you sort of an example and building out uh, responses to RFPs as as just one example. So, you know, we built out a parallel model because, you know, we're always sort of tinkering and and evaluating new platforms and compared it to what I'm going to call our traditional AI machine learning ensemble process versus what we were able to build out with an LLM. And, you know, sure enough, um, you know, we saw very early on some of the problems with LLMs. What LLMs will end up doing is they amalgamate uh snippets and more common snippets, and then sort of uh, merge that together. And on the surface, it looks good and it looks interesting. But uh, you know when you really start examining and 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 peeling the layers of this onion, you you begin to realize that it's it's just they just basically smash together uh, a lot of popular components of of what might be in the database or in their data. And so you know this is where the hallucination pr- uh, problems come in. I mean, um, you know, like we knew very early on, this propensity to create citations, for instance, which uh, you know, unfortunately other people did, just didn't realize, and so you know, I I think a lot of people were jumping too early on the hype cycle on on LLMs until they started realizing, yeah, there are these issues related to it. But you know, what we found out is if you use like our existing platform as a retrieval augmented generative um, sort of tool, where we actually now, rag, right? I mean, and you're going to hear about this technique more and more. As a way of inoculating some of the hallucination um, uh, propensities of LLMs, now you begin to really increase the accuracy of sort of that, that model. And so, um, you know, we're building out tools today where we're using our existing uh, techniques to, that are really good at isolating key portions of text and then just showing that to an LLM to basically start, um, you know, constructing answers. And so, um, you know, we're, we're, we're still continually experimenting, we're trying to figure out how best to deploy. An LLM. I think LLMs are very good at some things, like if you want to uh, re, uh, uh, paraphrase text, rephrase text. You know, if you want to use it as a muse, I think that's an excellent tool to do. But for the early stage stuff that we focus on, which is answering lawsuits and answering discovery questions, you know, that requires a little bit more pinpoint accuracy and and not as much variation, if if that makes sense, right? Because you know, when you answer a federal lawsuit, there's only like four or five things you can really say.
0: Right. And so one of one of the things that, I, that I've heard about this is that if you take a large language model, you can, of course, change its temperature. So you can say, be super creative. That's going to be, you know, high degree of hallucinations, mm-hmm. as opposed to like lowering that temperature to pinpoint accuracy. The problem is, is that when you lower the temperature to pinpoint accuracy... Then it's it's kind of like no different than search at that point. So, in other words, the, the strength of these tools, in some senses, is, is their creativity, is their hallucinatory power. But that's not actually what you want when you're responding to a complaint about, you know, on a, on, a, on a lemon law claim brought against an right. auto
1: manufacturer. Right. LLMs are powerful tools. I I just think you have to point them in the right way.
0: But you you, you do see incorporating them because I I think that one of the changes. that that I see happening with your tool is that I used to describe LegalMation as AI for early stage litigation filing. And now I'm starting to think about it a lot more as just AI for litigation, for everything that's not like the actual e-discovery part of the uh, equation, everything beforehand.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, like like just using my dominoes analogy, um, you know, we're going to be focusing on every stage of litigation all the way until uh, settlement. And so our next two tools is reviewing and constructing ways of analyzing deposition transcripts, demand letters, answering subpoenas. Um, you know, A lot of the things that, again, lawyers are doing today that just take time um, that you can now do in seconds.
0: So you mentioned before all of these contract tech companies, and I feel like it must have been very frustrating to be you over the last couple of years when you're really creating like amazing savings for companies. You're creating massive impact, much more than I think we've seen from a lot of the contract tech companies. You know, a couple of years ago at Clock, they asked, you know, who in the audience has an, has a CLM? And half the audience stood up. They said, is it working? If it's working, stay standing. And like, no one was left standing. So you had all these companies, mm-hmm. but they were, you know, not creating a lot of, ton, a lot of impact, but they were generating a ton of buzz, especially in the venture capital community, because VCs kind of understand contracts. They right. don't really understand litigation.
1: That's exactly right. And you know, just, just to sort of you know um, jump on, I think some of your observations. We've had a couple of clients that are using other uh, contract reviewing platforms, and they asked us to basically start building one out for them. And you know, our, our response is you know, it's not, not not something we do. Not necessarily a lot of expertise in terms of transactional work. I wouldn't even know where to start, quite frankly. But you know, it kind of makes sense why there's there's a lot of uh, traction that contracting reviewing platforms have, and and it has to do with sort of the the the, the lack of complexity, I think, in contracts. And and, and the reason is, a change in control provision is the same in California as it is in New York, as it is in Dubai or Singapore. You're not looking at a lot of variations, and so that type of you know identifying. Classifying is, is is not terribly difficult you know still to this day i 'm kind of amazed that we 're the only company right now doing this in litigation, but you know in retrospect it's I'm, i shouldn 't be amazed you know we 're in what thirty three states it took four or five years to reach thirty three states well that 's thirty three different jurisdictions where we had to learn how to extract how to identify how to build separate models, develop the templates um, uh, that are appropriate for each local rule or custom. Uh, it just takes time, and you know there, there's this huge competitive moat that we have. Just by that, by that, by virtue of our ability to have an end-to-end platform that can answer lawsuits in 33 states.
0: Our common friend, friend Jay, who also is an investor in Legal Nation, said to me once: "She said, you know, the reason I feel so good about investing in this company is that what they have built like, requires a lot of really, really hard work that even talented." technical people are not going to be able to do. And it's really true. There's like, right. when you ask about like, what's the moat within legal nation, it's, you know, years of years of like pouring actual litigation expertise into a tool like this.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, no doubt. I, like I said, it's just, uh, it, it was very frustrating because um, it was literally like doing a door-to-door to door search of, of anything. It just, it, it just takes time. But, you know, once, once you have that, it's just minimal maintenance, you know, moving forward. And it's got to be,
0: there's got to be not like shouting for you know hold it against the contract tech companies, but it is sort of interesting that here we are you know year and a half removed from clock twenty two where it felt like everyone is just every contract tech company out there is raising these gaudy rounds at billion dollar valuations, and now here we are in 2023. I think most people assume that all of these rounds are eventually going to be followed by down rounds. You've got unicorn companies, not in the legal space yet, but unicorn companies going out of business. Yet here you are just now raising a Series A round after all of this traction, but it's, it kind of feels like the truth has come around.
1: Well, I don't know about that. I mean, look, I, I there's no doubt, um, especially after doing this due diligence on a Series A, I, I can totally see why there's this pain point of, of contract reviewing platforms. And, you know, there, there's uh, room for more than one <laughs> in in that space. There's room for probably a dozen and, you know, more power Winner to takes them some. because I think, yeah, I mean, but, and, and so, and it's a pain point. There's no doubt in my mind that um, on the enterprise level, it is a real big pain point to really sort of understand what is in all of your contracts that you have um, as an organization. So it makes a lot of sense. I, I just think that uh, in this next chapter of in the legal tech space, especially, you're going to see a lot more emphasis on litigation tools now, and it's and it's because I, I think the transactional space is fairly well settled in terms of sort of that interest level and and sort of that growth and and, and what the ecosystem looks like. Not enough, um, I think, understanding in the litigation space yet. Again, outside of e-discovery, because I I think that a lot of people conflate what e-discovery is with litigation. But there are so many aspects of litigation that um, it represents wide open space. And in terms of the the massive
0: AI revolution over the past year, you know, largely fueled by ChatGPT, and you know, we're recording this on the day that OpenAI is having its Dev Day. What do you look at and say? Like, what's been the impact of that? Because I know you're not, you know, you are obviously experimenting with large language models, but that LLM craze. Has that gotten companies more likely to adopt AI where beforehand they were thinking seriously about it, but now this kind of pushed them over the top?
1: Yeah, you know, one of the benefits, at least for us, on what these LLMs have done is at virtually every single organization, there have been instructions from the top down to start evaluating tools that incorporate AI and LLMs, uh, which is why whatever conference you go to nowadays, you have... 99% 99% of the companies bragging that they're doing something with LLMs. I will tell you, 95% of those people have no idea what they're talking about. But it's, it's, it's one of those talking points that everyone is, is inserting uh, because they want to project to everyone that you know they're, they're on the cutting edge. But it, it's, it's coming from the top. It's coming from the investors and the stakeholders. It's, it's um, being driven by the C-level it. I have, it, I have a name for that, too. by the way. What's that?
0: I, I, I call it building Netflix while trying to maintain Blockbuster. <laughs> right, which just feels like what a lot of these companies are doing right now, which is, hey, hey, we're we're building that cool new Netflix thing. Yeah, we're still spending most of our time like maintaining our old technical debt and maintaining everything we've built until now. That's not a large language model. But, yeah, but we but we've got we've got some Netflix in there, too. It feels a little clunky. So let me ask you this I'll ask you my last question and then let you go. So, you know, you've been this like, Scrap, not I don't want to say scrappy, but you know, you, you as you said, you know, you were break even last year, cash flow po- positive, and uh, a little bit more even this year when you've raised this 15 million dollar round. You've gotten so used to like being disciplined, you know, about how you build and how you finance growth. Like, how do things change now that you've like raised this big round? Are, are you able to like maintain that? If you want to maintain that, are you going to do you anticipate changing a lot the way that you've run the company until now?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think one of the benefits of having uh, more resources is that we're, we're going to be able to scale faster. That That's really the bottom line. So, you know, we're going to build out our sales team. We're going to build out our our dev and product teams and uh, continually invest in sort of the R&D um, to perfect and improve on our existing models and, and build some more. And, you know, again, you know, what we're trying to do is we're really trying to solve problems for um, problem solvers is really what we're trying to do. James, this has been a pleasure. If you
0: want to learn more about LegalMation, www.legalmation.com. Check it out. And uh, what, what's uh, the next conference you're going to be at where people can come and find you and meet you in person?
1: Oh, boy, I have no idea. It's, what, November already?
0: Yeah, Legal Legal Week is the end of January. We're going to see you at yeah, Legal Week? Yeah, it,
1: it might be Legal Week.
0: <laughs> so thanks, James, again. Congratulations again on the $15 million round and uh, look forward to seeing even greater things from this company moving forward. All right. Thanks, Zach. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Zach Abramowitz's Legally Disrupted. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. La, 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 la,
1: everybody, la, 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 la.